DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined by Andy Benoit, NFL analyst. Joins us courtesy of betonline.ag. Andy, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. We are staring down a first full weekend of the NFL. And I'm looking at the odds here for the season. It's been 15 years since anybody's gone back-to-back, but the gamblers think the Chiefs are going to do it. Why believe in Kansas City in a salary cap sport where injuries are such a problem and can derail in a season in a heartbeat? How come people are betting on the Chiefs to go back-to-back, first team since the Patriots, back when Tom Brady was in his 20s? Yeah. Well, you know, most of that offense is back. A lot of that defense is back. And, uh, you know, we know how good Patrick Mahomes is and what Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill mean for the Chiefs and the amount of speed they put on the field and the, the way that that offense and that system under Andy Reid leverages the speed. I think what separated Kansas City as the season progressed last year was the development and improvement of their defense. And we've seen that before with teams that get more familiar with the scheme run by, by, by Kansas City's D coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, Tyron Matthew in particular became an exceptionally valuable player in that scheme. And that scheme was able to expand because of that. So that to me is where the optimism lies is that this, I don't want to say it's the best Chiefs defense we've seen in several years. You know, I, I don't know that. Maybe it is. It's certainly it's a high playmaking type of defense, so they've got some difference makers there. Uh, and Chris Jones up front is a guy that can disrupt the quarterback and, and create turnovers. So is Frank Clark. I think they have a true number one corner. I don't know if he's a superstar, but but Traverius Ward at right corner has been an outstanding weapon for them or outstanding stopper for them. And then Matthews, the miscellaneous piece that really took them off next year. So there's a lot more to like with this defense than we've seen in previous years. Yeah, I think obviously you can make that strong case for KC given where they are and how many guys they have basically into their prime led by Mahomes and the great coach. I'm wondering about the other conference uh, do you look at that as wide open? You're talking the NFC teams and who can come out of the NFC? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah I, I would say it's wide open. I think Dallas and Philadelphia are playoff caliber teams coming out of the East. The North, NFC North, to me, is the hardest division to predict this year. Uh, NFC South, uh, there's three teams really. Atlanta went 6-2 and two in the second half of last season. Not a lot of people noticed, but you know, that's, that's a better Falcons team than what their overall record indicates. I think New Orleans is the most complete team in the NFC. And then, of course, Tampa Bay brought in a certain quarterback, and we expect them to be better. And then in the NFC West, San Francisco defending champs, Seattle, uh, I thought it'd be a seven and nine type of rebuild effort for them a year ago, and their rebuild effort resulted. I believe they went eleven and five, and their defense should only be better this season. And I, I think the Rams are a lot better than what they showed a year ago as well. So as you look over all those teams and you see how even that is, the uh, the public flocks to the Niners, who. Okay, that that was good in the playoffs last year, and you get to the Super Bowl and all that. But at ten to one, and we know there's a history of teams losing the Super Bowl, and the next season goes haywire. Super Bowl hangover, injuries, sometimes it's personnel stuff. Do you think the Niners really have that kind of inside track and that kind of edge, or is that just people flocking to a familiar franchise? Well, if ever there was a year that you could debunk the Super Bowl hangover, you know, it could be. It could be this year for the reason that we've had such an unusual off season. 
the teams that have continuity, I think you could say probably into the season, certainly with a more advantageous position. And in San Francisco's case, it's continuity. I think they have all but one starter back on both sides of the ball, I want to say. And, and then their coaching staff is one of the best in the NFL on both sides of the ball. And they've got everybody back, which is very unusual for a team that has as much success in the playoffs as they did a year ago. Some of, some of their guys were on head coaching short lists, but they've got them all back right now. So that's, that's an unusual scenario in San Fran because of how good those coaches are together. I would be more optimistic for them than I would be for other Super Bowl, what, what was the Super Bowl hangover team, teams coming off the Super Bowl loss, we'll call it. Yeah, I, I get all that. Uh, to, to, to me, I'm looking for Seattle to take another step because you said, you know, a rebuilding 7-9, and nine, and they obviously far superseded that. And I'm wondering with Russell Wilson, I've always thought that he's never really gotten his due as a big-time quarterback. Well, that's, that's probably fair. I think there are some, you know, the league's been set up for traditional drop-back passers, and that's, I know that's how I was taught to evaluate quarterbacks. And, you know, Wilson is just not that style of QB, and it's not to say he can't do it, but he, he's just so unconventional, and his strengths are so unique. A lot of things that he does well are things that you have coached other quarterbacks specifically to not do. So, therefore, Wilson's become a, 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 a more challenging quarterback to evaluate, from the, especially from the outside looking in, just because of the style of play. But I think as we've seen over time, for one, Wilson has matured and has really harnessed his style of play to where he regulates his out-of-structure designs extremely well. And he gets outside the pocket, breaks the play down, goes sandlot mode. There's certainly a method to the madness that that's here now that I don't know if it was always there originally. And then the Seahawks, to their credit, they've done a great job of tailoring their offense to accommodate that. They, they basically have two plays for every play they call. They, they have the one that's drawn up. And then they coach their guys on what to do when Russell Wilson breaks it down or extends the play. What do we do from here? So it's, it's an evolved offense in that sense. And then Seattle's figured out if we're a run-based offense first, if that's where we begin and end is with our running game, that's a, that's a smart, sound way to play with Russell Wilson because it, it kind of nullifies some of the highs and lows that come with a guy who plays out of structure a lot. It keeps us a little more on schedule than we do. It also, by the way, plays to Wilson's greatest strength, which is his downfield passing. He is an unbelievable vertical thrower. His arcs on his ball, his precision accuracy, his ability to do it in and out of the pocket and from different platforms. He's probably the best overall deep ball thrower in the NFL. And a lot of deep balls are thrown out of run formations because you get, for one, you get the play action element a lot of the times, but those deep balls take time to unfold, which means you need extra blockers in there and extra blockers, tight ends, fullbacks, helping in pass protection. Those are your run personnel guys. So one of the other teams that seems to be hot and really popular the Baltimore Ravens, 13 to 2. Well, that's essentially six and a half to one. That's almost as good odds as the Chiefs. And yes, they've got an exciting quarterback. And yes, they've been a one seed and they've won a bunch of regular season games, but they flamed out in the playoffs two years in a row, losing to the Chargers at home 23 to 17 and the Titans at home 28 to 12. And there just have to be big red flags going up about whether 
They're built to succeed in the postseason. Now, maybe they break through, but should people be this excited about them? I mean, aren't those two pretty big red flags going up the last two years? Well, I would almost separate the two. I mean, the first year, Lamar Jackson had come in midseason, and he's a rookie, and they're kind of making some adjustments on the fly, and it was nice that they even got there, given where they started out when Jackson entered the lineup. You know, it was just kind of an on-the-fly job. This this last year is really the first year that the team was fully built around Jackson, because remember, when you plug him in, you're changing the makeup of your offense. There's nobody in the NFL like Lamar Jackson. So you're running a totally different scheme with him, which is what the Ravens started doing last year. So I think it's probably best to look at them as they're one year into this. And, yeah, they had a horrible performance in their playoff game. I think it was their worst performance of the season. I think they felt that their week four loss to the Browns was their worst performance. But it was a bad time. To, to have a bad performance. So can they bounce back from that? Yeah, I mean, of course they can. We've seen a lot of teams bounce back from that kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is Baltimore's quarterback is the most mobile QB we've seen since Michael Vick. Their offense is, is the most creative run game offense in the NFL. And then Greg Roman, who had Colin Kaepernick the year the Niners went to the Super Bowl with Kaepernick, Greg Roman's done this for a lot of years as a coordinator and run game designer now. So that's their foundation. And then what really separates Jackson from other mobile QBs and really what Vic never quite harnessed that Jackson appears to be grasping is the importance of being able to play from the pocket still. It doesn't have to be your core as a QB per se. We just talked about Russell Wilson and how he does things a little differently. But you still have to be able to operate from within the pocket in obvious pass situations if you're going to be a consistent NFL quarterback. And that's what Jackson did exceptionally well last season. For a guy as mobile as him, who's always been able to run away from whoever he's facing on a football field, and here he is in the NFL, and he's still able to run away from people. For a guy like that to have developed pocket patience and and move with subtlety and nuance within the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and only use his legs if he has to, that's extremely impressive. And that's really what, what makes the long-term outlook for Jackson so encouraging. Because I don't know if we've seen another QB with top-shelf mobility that's also shown he's willing to become a refined pocket passer. On the other end of the spectrum, with no mobility, is Tom Brady. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about his receiving core. Uh, can I argue that the talent around him has been better than maybe what he's ever had, but certainly in recent seasons in uh, New England? Yeah, I think you could argue that. That that 07 season that he had with the Patriots when it was Randy Moss and uh, Wes Welker and those guys, that's, that'd probably be the, the argument is maybe that was a, a close second or even first in some people's minds. But to have Chris Godwin, who was a top five receiver in production last year, Mike Evans, who's a true number one receiver, especially on the outside when he lines up over on the boundary side. Yeah, those are weapons for Brady, and and he really was hamstrung last year by a lack of weapons in the passing game in New England. So it'll be fun to see how that plays out. Then having multiple tight ends, you know, Bruce Arians has said, we're going to put two tight ends on the field quite a bit. 
And the reason you do that is because it gives you the, the full menu of your running game and your passing game. And obviously Brady at this point in his career, and really about 15 years ago, he can check in and out of any play you want. He has full command at the line of scrimmage. He sets the protections as well. So you're able, the more things you can do, given your personnel on the field, the more opportunity you have to maximize the, the football brain of Tom Brady. And that's been a pretty good formula over the years. We are being joined right now by Andy Benoit, NFL analyst, joins us courtesy of BetOnline, betonline.ag. So the Raiders are moving to Vegas. So for a lot of Utah fans, that means, A, the Raider fans that get to go see him, or B, they're going to root for one of the teams the Raiders play, and they want to go see them in Vegas. Or C, they just want to go to an NFL game. But winning matters, even in a tourist-driven town like Vegas. And the Raiders, the odds on the Raiders at 81 put them in the bottom quarter of the league. Are they going to go into a new, a brand-new palatial stadium and just stink it up and be in the bottom quarter of the league? Well, I don't know if I'd anticipate that. I think what's interesting with the Raiders is they invested in speed this past offseason, namely in drafting Henry Ruggs early or with their early round pick, their first round pick, and then at other positions and other draft capital that went into the idea of let's stretch the field a little more. Will Derek Carr respond to that and play that way? Because Carr is not the most aggressive quarterback. He's more of a field general ball distributor type and I imagine John Gruden wants to see Carr let it loose. So will Carr respond well to that? And if he does, I think that's a pretty complete offense. It's got a chance to be very competitive. And their defense, you know, we'd almost just be guessing at this point. I think nine of their guys are, are going to be new starters. Or if it's not that many, it will be by the end of this season most likely. They rotate a lot of guys anyway. So who their starting lineup is, is is not as significant as it is for other teams because they usually, Paul Gunther, their coordinator, he plays about 16 or 17 different guys regularly, maybe even up to 20 guys. So it's a better defense overall, I think, than it was a year ago. They, they have more talent there. So I'd, I'd be optimistic for the Raiders. AFC East, you know, we talk about New England. We, we pretty much put them in pen, you know, for the last decade plus. Well, not other, I don't know that we can do that. Uh, who do you go with as the favorite? You're looking at maybe Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo's Buffalo was very impressive last season, and, and now with, with I thought they were the best coach defense in the NFL. If you look at how fast they played and the number of different things they do, they weren't very complex, but they did so many. They did a lot of basic coverages, but they had such a wide array of them, and they did such a nice job of making some of those looks be disguised pre-snap that they feel like a complex defense. And then how fast they play off of that is extremely impressive. So but what I was going to say is when you look at Stefan Diggs coming aboard, that potentially changes a lot on the offense. For one, it leaves this team without any glaring weakness at any spot. doesn't mean that they're the most talented team, but they're a team that's devoid of any significant weaknesses. And then Diggs gives them a true number one receiver, he was number two in the NFL last year in deep ball receptions as a Viking. Josh Allen's his specialty is hucking the ball downfield very deep. Now, Allen needs to be more consistent. His, his accuracy has not been consistent enough in that realm. But having a true number one receiver there is going to help a little bit on some of those contested balls. And more importantly, I think it's going to clarify the safeties more. You now know where the coverage is rotating when Buffalo lines up. And that's not something Allen has had before. 
And at this point in his career, he needs to continue to progress at reading the field. He made great strides last year, still has a ways to go. And adding a guy like Stefan Diggs, it's really going to help clarify things for Allen. I think he'll become a more decisive QB. And, and maybe that makes him a more accurate QB. We'll find out. So last thing before we let you go, for the people playing fantasy football, everybody needs a sleeper. Everybody needs the, the undrafted guy, the, the skill guy who's going to break out. Do you see anybody who fits that mold who you think, this person is being overlooked, but they're going to have an impact. They're going to score touchdowns, gain yards, get first downs, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, off the top of my head, you know, Le'Veon Bell had bad numbers last year, and I can't imagine that they're not going to be better in New York this season. And the Jets actually quietly had a pretty strong finish to last season. So I would imagine there will be people that just pass on Le'Veon Bell in their fantasy draft. I'm not saying Bell's going to be what he was with the Steelers, but I would imagine he'll be much better than what his 2019 numbers suggest. We appreciate a few minutes. As always, Andy, thanks for filling us in on the uh, upcoming NFL season. All right. Thanks, guys.